Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. We're going to read there beginning with verse 1. And if you've been here the last weeks as we've worked our way through this book of the Bible, you may have noticed that I'm uh, skipping the end of chapter 3. And I'm doing that only because we're coming back to it in our series called This Is Us. And so when we talk about being Bible-based in that series, we'll use those verses. We'll really look at those verses, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And uh, so bear with me. We'll skip back. We'll come back to those verses uh, in a few weeks. The This Is Us series starts on February the 7th, those six weeks. We're doing the same study. Every age life group is doing the same study. The worship services and the life groups on the same theme, a little bit different uh, in each of those settings, but same theme. And we're going to talk about who we are individually and corporately, who we believe God wants us to be, and hope you can join us for all of those. And if you're watching online, we're glad to have you with us. You can participate in life groups as well online. Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read those two verses. If you're online, just follow along. You can take notes there and follow along in your scripture. Let's read these verses together. The Bible says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. The Bible says here's some strong words. I solemnly charge you, verse 1 starts with, and then he tells us what he's solemnly charging in verse 2, preach the word. So we kind of see in this passage the what, what we're to do, we're to preach the word. The why, we'll talk about more about the why we do that in a moment. The how we do that, we'll talk about in a moment. But who, who is this for? And you might say, well, it's for Timothy because Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing this to Timothy and he's telling him, uh, he's charging him solemnly to preach the word. So he's kind of he's doing this for Timothy. But it's beyond that, isn't it? I mean, the Holy Spirit's inspired these words for a reason. It's more than just for Timothy. So he said, well, yeah, it's for pastors, I guess, folks like that, maybe life group teachers who teach the word. And, and so, you know, I take this seriously. I know it's my responsibility to preach the word. I want to take, I'm, it's an important responsibility I have. And I certainly want to recognize, recognize the application it makes to me and to other pastors and to those, those uh, who teach. But I want to suggest to you that the proclamation of the word is beyond that. Now, not everyone's called to the same role. Not everyone's called to be the pastor of a church or a missionary or a teacher for that matter. But all of us have responsibilities and all of us are responsible to proclaim the message of God's truth, of God's word. All of us. Every person who knows Christ as Savior. A, a passage like this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 reminds us. Let me just read Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. The Bible says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Well, why did God do that? Why did he give some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Here, here's why. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So God has given this responsibility to the saints as everyone who names the name of Christ. If you know Christ as Savior, you are declared by the power of God, by the blood of Jesus, holy before God. It's not that you've never sinned. You can't come to Christ without recognizing you're a sinner. But that by trusting Christ, you are forgiven of your sins and declared righteous because Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover your sins. And so you are responsible to do the work of the, the ministry. My responsibility is to help people 
to be equipped for the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But you would think, by the way, much of the Western church looks at Christianity that it said something like this. The job of the pastor, the job of the teacher is to do the work of the saints for them. I'm going to tell you what, that's not what it says. It says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So the Lord in heaven, if you know him as Savior, has saved you for the work he wants to do in and through you. And much of the Western world has said, you know, I, I, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to pay somebody else to serve on our behalf. We're going to hire somebody else, and they're going to do ministry for us in our place. And nothing could be further from the truth. Everyone, we don't have the same role. We have different roles. We have different gifts. We have different responsibilities. But every one of us is responsible to share the good news of the gospel. Every one of us. The Great Commission matters to all of us. We're to all of us be a part of the work of the ministry. So we might say it like this. The proclamation of the word is for every believer. But somewhere along the way, the Western world has begun to see the pastor as the one who does the work of ministry for them. So let me give you my illustration. I love this illustration in connection with it. So I played football back in the day, but I don't play any football now. Back when I played football, I'll just tell you, the older I get, the better I was. I'll just tell you that. I can assure you of that. But I, haven't, I don't play at all. I can't run. I can't jump. I can't throw. I don't play football. At, I don't play. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't play football. Well, I watch football, but I don't play it. So I sit on my couch, and I watch other people play. And I kind of evaluate how they're doing. And much of the world, in the Christ, especially in the Western world, is viewing Christianity like this. We sit and watch someone else do the work of ministry. And we sort of evaluate how they're doing. You know, I like it or I don't like it. I mean, he's doing okay or he's not doing so okay. And that's how we view the faith. When the Lord is saying to us, if we can bring the analogy a little further, we'd say it like this. God is saying, I want you to get out of the stands, get off the sofa, and I want you to get involved in the practice of ministry yourself. You're in the game. You're the one proclaiming the gospel. That's for every believer. Sharing the good news, that's for me. So in my workplace, in my school, in my family, in my, in my surroundings, God wants to use me to make a difference in the lives of others. And not to see that as something that someone else does, but something that I do. I'm to participate. And so with that in mind, let's note two things about this charge. And if you'll just write these principles down, if you're at home, you can write these principles down. Number one, would you note the charge is built on the Lord. This solemn charge, verse one says, before God in Christ Jesus, it's built on the Lord. I solemnly, I solemnly charge you, verse one says, before God and Christ Jesus. Now he's saying, this is a big deal, Timothy. So before God the Father, and God the Son, Christ Jesus, and this is the charge I have for you. This, this matters, and it matters because of three things we're taught about the Lord. So let's note what, how we build on the Lord. Note, note three things about God. Number one, would you note he is our judge? The Bible describes him that way in verse one. It says, it says he is going to judge the living and the dead. So the Lord is our judge. He is going to judge the living and the dead. The Bible describes that at the end of time. There is what we uh, see in the book of Revelation as the great white throne judgment when those who don't know Christ as Savior will be judged on the basis of their works. 
And let me tell you, that's a bad way to be judged because we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is a sinner. We're all, we've all gone astray. If we're only judged by our works, we will all fall short. But the Bible says we can also be judged on the basis of what Christ did for us. And we can be forgiven, not because we're perfect, not because we somehow gained perfection. You're not going to reach the point where you're perfect in, in this world and have erased all the sins of your past. Even if you're perfect from this point forward, you're still a sinner. You've already messed up in the past. We all need the Lord. And he's going to judge us. We're going to stand before him. He is the righteous judge. It, this reminds us of something that is important about the nature of God. When we say God is our judge, we're reminded that he is holy. God is holy. If you know anything about God from the Bible, you would know that God is holy, that he cares deeply about holiness. God has requirements, and sin has consequences. We have a need. We see as we stand before the judge that we've not measured up to the standards and the requirements that God has. We see that while God is holy, we aren't, and we have this terrible need. It's a reminder. God reminds us that we need what only he can provide. He is our judge. Secondly, note that he is our savior. The Bible says he's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, we're charged, solemnly charged before God because of his appearing. Now, the Lord has appeared in two ways. He's appeared already at his birth. So God didn't just stay distant from us and say, you know, you've messed up and you've gone wrong and I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to stay distant from you. But God in heaven broke into this world, into the world he created. God became a man. The word Emmanuel that we often use to describe Jesus, that is a, a word that means God with us. It is saying this teaching, this truth, that God didn't stay far from us, but God in heaven became fully man, Jesus, fully God and fully man in this, in that little cradle in Bethlehem, and he lived for us that perfect life that none of us have lived. If you ever want to know what the example of how you ought to live is, you can see the life of Jesus. He lived the perfect life. And then, because he lived the perfect life, he was worthy to die the death that we deserved. So Jesus came into this world to die for me and for you. He died in my place. He was worthy to die in my place. He took my judgment. When I said God is judge, Jesus took my judgment upon himself on the cross of Calvary, and he died in my place. He took my punishment. He took my penalty and died in my place. And then he did the miracle that we need. Christ rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death and hell. Because of that, there's hope for us. And Jesus appeared for us, and it reminds us that he is our Savior. Not only did he appear in the past, but he's going to appear again. The Bible says he will return that there'll be a rapture and that those who know Christ as Savior will meet him in the air or those who die will step into his presence, forgiven of their sins. This reminds us, I said when I said God is our judge, that God is holy, this reminds us God is love. Now, those two concepts go together. God is holy and God is love. Not just one or the other, but he is always holy and he is always love. That's his nature. And you can be saved of your sins. In fact, you need to be saved what I'm saying to you is, not only do we have a need, as a judge, he reminds us of that, but we have hope as our Savior. He teaches us that. There is hope for you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've messed up, there's hope. There is a Savior who cares about you. There's a Savior who can forgive you of your sins. You can be born again. You can have a new life. And God does that because he cares about you. He's our, he's our judge. He's our Savior. 
And thirdly, note, he is our Lord. The Bible says he's going to judge the living and the dead and because of his appearing and his kingdom. The Bible describes Jesus as our king. In fact, he's called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's teaching of his, of his nature. He's judge, that means he's holy. He's a savior, that means he's love. But he is our Lord. And that reminds us God is sovereign. God is absolutely sovereign. He reigns, we sometimes sing. He tells us in his word that he rules, that he created everything that there is to see, that he has that kind of power, that we are rightfully his by creation, and we are rightfully his by salvation. So if you know him as Savior, you call him Lord because he made you and because he saved you. And the Bible tells us that he loves us, that he's, he's our judge, and that he's holy, and it tells us that he is sovereign, and he, has, he gives us the power to overcome all the problems and sins and difficulties and brokenness of this world and all that you brought with you to this place, all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the mistakes, all the failures. We bring that all to the Lord who is sovereign, and he is able to forgive us and change us and cleanse us. And so we preach the word because of who God is. We're solemnly charged before God and Christ Jesus to do this. That's why, church, we, we love seeing people saved here. And I, I get tired of some things in ministry, I'll just tell you. But I've never gotten tired of seeing people come to know Christ as Savior. I just don't, I've never gotten tired of that. Church, I hope we never get tired of seeing people come to know Christ as Savior. I hope that doesn't just become routine for you or it's no big deal. To think that when someone gives their life to Christ, that will still matter a thousand years from now in eternity itself. What they've done with Jesus will still matter. And I, I want it to matter to us. I want us to care deeply about this. I love to see God stirring in our church. I love to see the number of single young adults who have been coming to faith in recent weeks and our young people, uh, teenagers who are coming to faith in the Lord and some of those preteens coming to the Lord. And I, we, we love seeing that. that last um, week, it happened, it happened many times where uh, someone came back, Vicki and I always go back to Connection Point after the worship services, and a young airman came back and asked a few questions about the sermon, and, and it and led me to ask him some questions about his faith, and he had never trusted Christ as Savior, and right then and there, we went through the gospel account again with him, and he prayed to receive Christ as Savior. I tell you, that will matter a thousand years from now. The Bible says there's, there's rejoicing in the presence of God, in the presence of the angels, when one sinner repents. That's how big it is. And it ought always to matter to us, this God who is our judge, this God is who, our, who is our Savior, this God who is our Lord. We love to see people grow in their faith. God made us to grow. God doesn't want you to stay immature in your faith. He wants you to grow and deepen. You, you know, the one thing about being immature is you don't always know you're immature, you know? Did you know that? So if you're an immature person, lots, the most immature people often don't realize they're immature. And... Sometimes spiritually that's the case. We don't realize that we need to grow. God's not satisfied to leave you where you are. He wants you to grow and learn. He wants you to understand what it means when we say Jesus is Lord. He wants that lived out in your life. And so we never grow tired of seeing people, of seeing people come to faith in Christ. And if you haven't, we pray today you'd give your life to Christ. And we never get tired of seeing people grow in their faith and really begin to live out the faith and not just to know about it, but to put it into practice. I love that. The charge is built on the Lord. And we preach the word because of who God is. 
because he's our judge, because he's our Savior, and because he's our Lord, we want people to be saved, and we want people to grow in their faith. Now, there's a second principle I want you to write down. Would you write this down? If you're watching online or if you're here sitting somewhere, would you write this down? The charge is based on the Word. I said it's built on the Lord, but it's based on the Word. I solemnly charge you, Paul said, to preach the Word. Let's note a couple things here. Notice it says we're to preach the Word. It didn't say preach what's popular. Sometimes the Word is popular, sometimes not. Parts of the Word are more popular than others. It doesn't say preach what makes people feel good. Some things about God's Word can make us feel good. Some, sometimes God helps us to feel bad so that we can see the better good. It doesn't say preach your opinions. Did you notice that? We'll talk in the next, uh, next Sunday more about why this is so difficult for us because we have a tendency to want to get people who would just say what we think or what we want. But that's not what the Bible says. It says preach the Word. There's a reason for that. So I'm reading a book right now on the uh, building of the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, I didn't want to die without ever knowing anything about the Brooklyn Bridge. Who would want to do that? So I'm reading this giant book on the Brooklyn Bridge. And the engineer that started it was a brilliant man, a guy named John Roebling. Uh, Roebling was born in Germany, came to the United States, and he's a brilliant mind, engineering mind, um, began to build uh, steel ropes, in effect, and and through that, that led to bridge building, and he did some tremendous suspension bridges, and then eventually the, the biggest one of all, this Brooklyn Bridge, was just huge, massive undertaking. He died before it was complete, and his son had to complete it. Uh, so he died in 1869. So Roebling, I was surprised that he died, because he was overseeing the project there in, you know, it was, there was no connection. You had to do a ferry between Manhattan and Brooklyn. They were, New York and Brooklyn were considered different cities in that time. And there was no easy way to get back and forth. And so that bridge was a big deal. And it was early in the construction. He had done all the planning and such. And uh, they just had an accident. It was on the wharf. Got his foot tangled in a rope and, and ended up having a couple of his toes crushed. Well, it had to be horribly painful. But they took him uh, to the doctors, and the doctors had to amputate some toes, but, you know, he was going to be okay, except Roebling, who was a brilliant man, and he knew a lot about a lot of things. I mean, he understood math, and he, was, he understood a lot of things. But he thought he knew more than he did, and he thought he knew better than the doctors how to take care of himself. So he didn't listen to the doctors. He, in effect, fired all of them who tried to help him. And he took matters into his own hands and ended up with tetanus and died a premature death. He didn't have to. Had he followed just a rudimentary understanding of the doctor's instructions, he would have undoubtedly been okay. But he thought he knew what he didn't know. He decided to follow what he felt he should do what he wanted to do. And that is so much like our own modern age. I don't want God telling me what to do. I know how to run my own life, for crying out loud. I know what I think or what I feel or I have opinions about what ought to be done or ought not to be done. I think, we say, I feel, I want, this is, this is what I believe. And God in heaven has 
the truth that he gives to us. The great physician tells us the truth. We don't always like the truth. It doesn't always make us feel good for the moment. But God tells us the truth. The great physician tells us the truth because it's in our best interest. And so he said to Timothy, I want you to preach the word. Not your opinions, not what's popular, not what people necessarily even want to hear. But you preach the word. You tell them the truth. Because the truth is what sets them free. The truth is what will bring healing. And so he says, proclaim, proclaim. Well, it's one of our great privileges to proclaim. We preach the word. We tell people whether it's in a formal setting like this or in a less formal setting of telling the gospel to others. God gives us this, this responsibility to proclaim. It's one of the reasons we say as a church we are Bible-based. And when we do our series, we'll talk about being Bible-based and what that looks like. So let me apply it in three ways. Let me ask you to read the Word. I've been on a kind of a long time uh, kick here to encourage people to read the New Testament for themselves. I've talked to a couple of guys, you know, in the 70-year-old age range who have just finished reading the New Testament for the first time. And I am delighted that they have. I want you to read the New Testament lots and lots of times. Only 260 chapters. It's very doable. And read it lots and lots of times in your life. Really get to know what the Bible says. You don't just have to take someone's word for it. You can read it for yourself. There's a great value in that. We say as a church, we encourage people at least five days a week to spend time reading God's word in prayer. Number two, study the word. Read it, but but also study it. I mean, really learn what the Bible has to say. Dig in a little bit. One of the reasons we emphasize our life groups, our small group Bible studies, is because it's an opportunity to ask some questions on occasion or to, or to have some, uh, some groups talking about how, what they've learned about that lesson or maybe someone who has gone a little farther down in their walk with the Lord who can help us to understand more uh, for our own walk with the Lord. So read the Bible and study the Word. And then number three, tell the Word. God wants us to tell other people about who He is. God wants to use you to make a difference in your job. Maybe you, you know, the guys you work with, don't, they don't know me. They know you. Maybe God would use you to help them to hear the truth. The people in your school, maybe God would use you. Maybe the people in your family would listen to you. God will use you to make a difference. And so I want you to read the Word. I want you to study the Word. And I want you to teach the Word yourself. I want you to help people to know more of who God is and God's purposes and plans we proclaim. The second thing I want to mention here is not only proclaim, but number two, be ready. The Bible says, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season. So to be ready means to be prepared. I have a responsibility to prepare myself, uh, to think about what God's Word says and how I can teach it. Your life group teachers prepare uh, your life group teachers for your children study ahead of time and they try to think through it tomorrow um, uh, I'll start you know in, the Bible says be prepared in season and out of season and in season for me is things that I know are coming like uh, I, I know that Sunday comes every single week every single week it comes it's my in season it's the time when I'm uh, it's whether it's convenient or not, all, all occasions, but in season is the time that you know is coming. So Sunday comes every week, and I'm going to prepare. In fact, tomorrow I'll do what I do every Monday. I'll spend a little of the time, part of the time there, kind of thinking about the next sermon. I kind of know where I'm going in advance usually, but I start working on it some Monday and a little bit every day to kind of prepare myself. That's in season. So next Sunday I'll preach something, Lord willing, if the Lord gives that opportunity to teach God's Word. But there's also opportunities out of season. 
Those are the, the times when it's not expected. So I got a, call, a couple of calls recently uh, from my mortgage company. You know, they want to keep your business and interest rates are always fluctuating. And so I've gotten a couple of different calls from guys who are talking, men who are talking to me over the phone about mortgage things. And so I don't always listen to telemarketers, but in this case, because it's the mortgage company, I you know, answered, it's my mortgage, and I, I answered the phone, and, and I listened to them as they talked. And so I said to both of them um, separately, the separate times they talked, I said, listen, uh, when you get done, when you're kind of done, let me just explain a little bit about what I, about what I do. And they knew, they found out along the way, you know, they asked some questions. I was a pastor, and so I said, to each of them, I said, when you get done, let me just explain. I just want to explain what the Bible calls the gospel. I want to explain it to you. Is that all right? And they said, okay. And they were, you know, went on their spiel, and I listened to their spiel. And um, when they got done, I said, okay, now, can you, is it okay for me to do like two minutes to explain uh, the Bible's message, what the Bible calls the gospel? And they both said yes. Now, one of the guys was a uh, believer. I don't think he understood the gospel very clearly. He had got confused in his life. I uh, didn't, you know, he'd been to church a good bit, but sometimes it was just a little jumbled. And so I got to explain the gospel to him. He told me that he had trusted Christ as Savior. I told him how big that is, how much that matters. You know, I talked about the gospel itself, the, the kind of the short version of the gospel about how we're broken and how God is holy and broken man, broken by sin. We can never reach God. And God reached down to us when we couldn't reach up to him. And he sent his son Jesus into the world. Jesus lived the perfect life for us. Jesus died the death we deserve, died in our place on the cross. Jesus rose from the grave and conquered sin and death. He ascended back to the Father. He's making intercession for believers even now. He'll come again one day. That we need to trust Christ as Savior. That we can't depend upon our goodness. We can't get good enough to go to heaven. We can't reform our way to perfection. But we need to trust Christ. And if we will repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ, believe that he died for us and rose from the grave for us and receive him as Savior, he'll save us. And he, he talked about how he had done that. He had made that decision and kind of rejoiced with him. And I kind of was glad for him to kind of get a little of that put together in his mind. And the other um, young man who I was talking to had, had never heard the gospel, he said clearly. He had never heard it. I mean, maybe he'd heard it and never, it just didn't sink in. I don't know. But he'd never heard it in a way that ever resonated with him in a way that he felt like he'd heard that before. And while he didn't pray to receive Christ, he listened. And I just tell you, both guys, one guy somewhat church, the other guy never, you know, never in church, never heard, had heard the gospel. Both were willing to listen. You know how you can hang up on the telemarketer, but the telemarketer can hang up on you at the end too, I guess, right? And they listened. They asked a couple questions. What does this mean? And what, man, what a privilege. That's out of season. I mean, I, I don't know when the next opportunity like that comes. Sometimes God just puts someone in your life and you're in that position for a reason. Because that person matters to God. And God puts you in that life so that you'll be the person that preaches the word, that proclaims the truth to them. And so you be ready. God in heaven might want to use you in ways that you've never expected, in season and out of season. Number three, we apply we apply the word. Application tells us why the truth matters. It tells us how to live the truth that we've learned. Now, I'm all for learning the truth, of course. We want to teach the Bible. But the goal is not just to learn about it, but also to live it. The Bible says we're to be 
doers of the word and not hearers only. We don't just hear the word. We don't just know about the word, but we're to live the truth. And so God wants us to apply it. And he tells us here how to do that as we teach the word. We preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And he tells us to do three things. We're to correct. That is, we help people know how God wants them to live and what God wants them to do. And much of our world doesn't know that very well. The culture doesn't teach what God teaches very well. And so God corrects us when we're wrong. God shows us the better way. Number two, he rebukes us. Maybe the least popular part of preaching is rebuking. That's where we say uh, you're wrong and the Lord is telling you that that's wrong and you need to change. You know, I didn't much like the rebukes of my parents. My parents rebuked me. I don't know if yours did. They would sometimes tell me I couldn't do something. I wanted to do it and I couldn't. I mean, why in the world would they not let me play in a street? You know why? What was The street was flat. Why would I not get to play in the street? But they understood things I didn't understand. They cared about me in a way. I saw that better as I got older, especially when I had kids of my own. Oh, they did love me. I thought they were just saying that, you know, they, I'm doing this because I love you. I didn't, it didn't feel that way. But I see better now. Yeah, they cared about me and they saw the danger of the street. And so they rebuked me when I did the wrong things. They didn't rebuke my brothers nearly often enough, but they rebuked me when I did what was wrong. Well, God in heaven, because he loves me, he rebukes me. It's not because he doesn't love you that he rebukes you. So when there's something in his word that challenges you, it's not because God doesn't care, but because he does. And so he challenges you. He challenges how you're thinking or how you're acting or how you're living. It's hard for us. We want to run from rebuke, but it's to our great benefit to listen to God's word and then to apply it. And number three, he encourages us. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. One of the things we do by teaching God's word is to try to encourage others. It's good news after all, not bad news. It's good news. There's bad news that points us to the good news. He rebukes us so that we can be encouraged by the right. This week I talked to, uh, it was a 90th birthday for a guy I have known for a long, long time. And so I called him on his birthday. Vicky and I talked to him. He and his wife have been um, just great encouragers to us. So before I came here 25 plus years ago now, I was pastoring in Texas during my seminary years. And I came to be the pastor of a small church, and almost everybody was a lot older than us. We were super young. I didn't know very much about pastoring then. I mean, not that I've learned it very much since then, but a little bit. But I didn't know very much about preaching then. Not that I've learned that much since then, but I really didn't know much then. And so I'm just a young, young, really young pastor. And, and um, this, this couple were just so encouraging to us at a time when I especially needed it. You know, we, everyone needs some encouragement. And they were just encouraging to me at a time when I really needed it. And they loved us even though I was young and full of mistakes. They cared about us, even though the church grew and was changing. Change is inevitable. It's painful for us often, but it's inevitable. It happens in life, and it's to your advantage because God uses it to stretch us and, and make us more of what he wants us to be. That's how, part of how he transforms us into his image. And they just encourage us through that. I've thought many times of how patient he was with us and how encouraging they were in those years. And and I got to kind of honor him at this 90-year uh, mark. Listen, God, God's word encourages. There's a power to it. We are telling people God's word because we want what's best for them, because God wants what's best for them. And here's how we do it. It says, with great patience and teaching. Do you know why it says 
to do this with great patience and teaching? Because you're going to need great patience and teaching. Because not everyone wants to hear the truth. Some of you have shared the gospel with people you care about maybe long, long ago, many, maybe many, many times, and they've never come to the Lord, and you need great patience. Or you've taught and taught and taught and taught, and it doesn't seem like it's sunk in at all. There's not a life group teacher alive who has taught very long who doesn't understand how painful it is to teach, and it's as though it's like water on a, the back of a duck. It just doesn't seem to sink in, and you need great patience with that teaching. And God is saying, apply. Tell them why the truth matters. Help them to learn how to live the truth. And you keep doing it. You stay patient. You keep teaching. Because I've solemnly charged you to preach the word. It's going to come a day when they're not going to want to hear. We'll talk about that next week. But I've solemnly charged you. I'm giving you the truth, and that's what I want them to have. That's what will set them free. That's what will make them whole. That's what will heal their brokenness the truth. Bow with me for a word of prayer. And as we bow, even if you're online, we just bow for a moment. Ask God to deal with you in a couple of ways. If you've, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, could I urge you to be saved? Not, not just try to be more religious and not just reform, but you need Christ. The Bible, Jesus said, you must be born again. He wants to change you on the inside. And if you would repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ and, and, and give your life to Christ, he'll save you. We, we urge you to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're watching this online or you're here today because God wants you to know that he wants a relationship with you. He, he cares about you. He loves you. He did something about your need, and you can be saved. Would you give your life to Christ? For those of you who know him as Savior, I want to ask you today to be, would you say, God, would you help me to be open to sharing the good news with other people? Would you help me to do my part in preaching the word and proclaiming the truth to others? To love other people enough to tell them about your word? to care whether people come to know you as Savior, to care whether they grow in faith. Lord, help me to teach your word the truth. Help me, help me to point people to Christ. Help, God, would you use someone like me? Just make that your prayer. God, would you use someone like me to make a difference? Some of you are in a job because God in heaven wants you there as a means by which other people hear the gospel. Don't see that just as a job, but as an opportunity that God's placed in your life. He's put you there. I'm not there, but you're there. Some of you are in a home or in a school because God wants you there to be the witness for him. Father, I want to thank you for this great, powerful, solemn charge you give to us to preach the word. Not just to teach our opinions or, or follow the culture or to base everything just on our feelings for the moment, but to, but to teach something that lasts, something upon which a life can be built to teach the truth. And we thank you. You love us enough to tell us the truth. The parts we want to hear, the parts that we don't. The parts that come easily and the parts that are more difficult. We know you do this because you are our judge and you are our savior and you are our Lord. Father, we want to, we want to build it out of who you are and we want to do it, uh, we want to base it on the word, not just what's popular at the moment, but on something that lasts for eternity. So Father, use this in our life to make us what you want us to be and use us to make a difference. Use our church corporately and use us individually. And Father, for those who are hearing this today, who have never given their life to you as Savior and Lord, would you draw them to yourself today? And I'm praying, Lord, you'll help them to see that they can be saved because you are a great Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.